Imagine a world where your next job finds you and new people are eager to connect with you and promoting your business doesn't feel like you're doing a sales pitch but having a conversation. That's the power of audience growth and no one knows it better than Dan Sanchez or as he's affectionately known, Dan Chess. As the director of inbound marketing at Element 451, Dan Chess has grown his LinkedIn followers to a whopping 25,000 in just a few years. Today he is here to share his secret sauce his three pillars of audience growth in this marketing pops episode you got first the importance of audience growth and how it can transform your career and business second how to leverage social media platforms particularly linkedin to build your audience third the power of learning in the light and how sharing your journey can attract and engage your audience and fourth how niching down has excelled in danchas audience growth before we start to help you apply danchas three pillars of audience growth I created a free power up cheat sheet you can download for free on marketingpowerups.com. You can find the link in the show notes and description. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Power Ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Rambly John. Let's talk about audience growth. I know that's something that you've been really big on, specifically on LinkedIn. Like you're posting out like a lot of these great videos. You have I think by now, over 24, 25,000 followers on LinkedIn. Uh, I think it makes sense to us who are in marketing on why building an audience is important or it's helpful. I'm curious, just for my audience, just to be clear, like why are you such a big proponent of people building the audience? Whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, anywhere, but like particularly just audience growth as a, as a means for your career or your business or anything else. Well usually starts with a story and that story started with some freaking pain you know <laughs> so i became the best customer of audience growth because i i desperately needed mm. it in, in a, a certain time because honestly i was that marketer that just loved running paid media to landing pages and i was freaking good at it i was working for a college and i was it was a small college and i started there as a marketer of one and i grew it to triple the enrollment of the school and grew my team up to 27, like three staff wow. members, a huge team of students helping me do everything from blogging and design and running ads and had them all trained up doing all kinds of things. Um, but most of the growth didn't come from any of the organic stuff and came almost all from Google ads and Facebook ads. Mm. And we rode that wave hard in 2015. Back when they were just starting to put ads in the feed, we hit it hard. And we were following Ryan Dice and trying all the new stuff coming right. out of what was it? Perpetual Traffic, if you remember that podcast. Right, yeah. Dude, right. we were taking all his best stuff and being the first ones to try carousels, the first ones to try retargeting on Facebook and all that stuff. And it panned out. And we were able to drive a lot of cheap traffic to some landing pages, split test those landing pages, built an email follow-up system. It was beautiful, man. That built a money-making machine for them. That's but then cool. something started happening. It became less effective over time because guess what? Facebook started getting expensive, man. And all of a sudden, I was getting like $3 leads to $5 leads to $10 leads. Wow. $20 leads. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. And Google Google was kind of slow and steady and also becoming more expensive. But I was like, enrollment starting to dip. This is a problem. Mm. What else do I have? I don't. And I, and that, so that was my paid media game. And I, in higher ed, I didn't have any. Facebook was Facebook, Instagram was my option. I was doing some stuff in Pinterest. I was trying YouTube, not getting a lot of traction there. I just kept digging back into the paid me- media well and pulling up a dry bucket, man. And it wow. was getting hard. So I was like, well, okay, I'm a marketer. What other? We got, okay, we got, we got paid media. 
it got earned media. I don't know crap about PR. I tried yeah. that. I, every time I go to PR, I get burned. Let's just put it that way. So I was like, well, I got owned. I don't, I don't have any owned media. How do I get mm. some owned media? I got into SEO. I actually did pretty well with SEO. And that's why Sweetfish picked me up. And it wasn't until mm. I really worked at Sweetfish that I really started learning how to do social well. And then I really started taking off with SEO and obviously learned the game of podcasting since Sweetfish is a uh, podcast agency. And that's how I was like, I'm never going back. Because once you have an owned audience, once you've experienced that goodness, you're yeah. like, you can always turn the paid media faucet mm. back on. That's always there for you. That You could turn that on tomorrow. Okay, maybe not tomorrow. So it takes a while to plan the campaign. And stuff, but it's fast. Yeah. You know, but it it's fast on, fast off. Mm. Um, there's only so much you can go with. So far you can go with paid media, but owned media, it can go really far. And what I found out is that good owned media leads to the best earned. Yeah. Like it's not because of what I'm doing with paid media or earned media that I'm on this show today. This is earned media for me because of what I'm doing with owned media. So it ends up working out way better than I thought. Um, and it makes the whole wheel, uh, like a marketing wheel fly so much farther. So that's mm. how I got into audience growth as I started discovering its importance because I'd been burned on it in a previous life mm. doing everything else. That. I love the stories. I, I love that particularly because like that own media is really about like be, building good relationships with people. I think you had, yeah, there was a video you shot, you shared on LinkedIn around like uh, how to win friends is really like a great yep. way. And you're that audience building is like relationship building and you're making friends that can refer your business or, or you know get you on the show because they've seen your content and you seem approachable but as well as open up doors uh in terms of career because they like you as a person based on the stuff you're posting up on on social is exactly what i'm hearing here as well absolutely that's how it starts in the beginning is kind of like one-to-one -one. and i'd say probably it carries through obviously as it scales you can't do it as well or as much but mm -hmm. you try. i don't know it's my goal to do it as well as i can until until you can't Right. Mm. Um, but in the beginning, when you don't have an audience, you kind of do. Everyone has an audience, even if it's just friends and family. Mm. It's the people who want to hear from you. Right. And somebody out there wants to hear from you, even if it's only your mom. It's an audience of one. So you just have to do the friends and when friends and influence people thing, like be interested in a lot of people instead of getting them interested in you. Mm. Right. Um, and then you'll start to build an audience slowly but surely. You can take that same playbook and just do it on social media instead of, you know, doing it that. in life in person. There's this advice that I've heard uh, to be yourself on social. And I had I was having a conversation with Tommy Walker. He's the father of the content studio or of how sometimes being being yourself in social, you should be a heightened version of yourself in a sense where like, you know, you increase, you know, you're doing a lot of videos and you must you know, pump up your energy because like your excitement gets uh, communicated through, through that as well. Would you agree with that? That the advice yourself might not be like always like uh, the best advice when it comes to like really like starting to grow your audience online. I really don't like the advice because it's not very actionable. Mm. You're like, people are like, just be you. And you're like, who's me? I thought I was. <laughs> like, what does that mean right. what do you do you want me to be the me from the past the uh, me I think I am in the future or the me right. I want to be in the future that I'm still chasing down right. which me and which is it me at work or is it me in personal or somehow like what there's so many different aspects of you and it's so hard to analyze like who who 
who is Dan Jez? No. So what I found out is actually it's better just to start posting and sure, try to be you, mm. you know, you honestly, you might even emulate other people. Like a lot of us that started off emulating Gary V mm. and kind of getting in some reps that way and maybe even regurgitating some of the material. Honestly, I think it's okay because right. some parts of that become, you become a little like him in your way, but you're still you. You still have different interests than Gary. There's a lot of things that I disagree with Gary on, right? Um, and I actually think you discover yourself in the process. Mm-hmm. As you grow an audience, the community starts to help you understand where you have value, what they like about your personality that you didn't even realize. You're like, you know, you do this funny thing. You're like, right. I do? Oh, I didn't realize that was a thing that people enjoyed about me. Right. You know, I didn't realize that was a gift that I had. So now I'm going to lean into it. Because I've gotten feedback that that's something I can use about myself to offer value to people, whether it's entertainment value or just knowledge that I have. Um, And I think that happens to everybody in community. If you're digging into it, it doesn't just happen on social media, but it absolutely happens as you're growing an audience and uh, for your personal brand on, on social. Like listen in to their comments, try to be the most helpful. And as you're being helpful, They'll give you feedback on what's helpful and what's not or what they like or what they don't like. And uh, that's how you start to like come out of your shell and actually it highlights the best parts of you. And right. then you become uniquely you. That makes sense. I love I love how you're like really focusing on helping. I feel like that's all connected to like building that relationship at scale. It's like when you help people, they feel good about you. <laughs> they, they're like, oh man, that just is helping me become a better podcaster or a better marketer or a better person and as because of that he's part of my journey to become better i trust him more and that's i guess like the the first in, initial stage of like really building out your audience like how do you help people and maybe even sharing tips or sharing your own story is any other thing or do you do you have any other like tips for people who are like i'm just starting out I'm not sure, you know, like what to to share. You mentioned a few things there about like, you know, give, share stuff that's helping you already that other people might be able to do or share what's helped, like maybe some tools. I'm not entirely sure if you have any advice for people who might just be starting out in this journey of audience growth. Yeah. So let me steal a question. I know you have saved for the end and maybe I'll give a different answer at that time. But I know one of your, your questions coming up is like, what would I say to my past self? Yeah. Um, this is what I would say to my past self because I was always concerned about not being an expert in the thing that I wanted to talk about on social, right? Specifically like LinkedIn. Like, what do you say when you're just starting off? You're right, fresh out of college, but you don't know crap yet. Um, I actually, pl- now that I've been on social and I've se- bumped into a few college students and I've played around with this, like, there actually is a playbook for when you don't even, you're not even an expert yet. You're not even in the profession yet. So you're not even a professional. Mm. Um, And the way to be helpful to others is to just open up your journey and be honest about just starting out. On LinkedIn particularly, it's really helpful. And the way you can be helpful is just share what you're doing along your journey. I mean, obviously, Gary Vee calls it documenting, but I think it's even more specific um, because what you can do is ask for help on social, get some feedback, and then post what you're learning about it along the way and tag the people that gave you the feedback. Be like, hey, I was asking about how to get my first job and -and so-and-so posted about reading this book and talking to people in this way. And so Mm -hmm. I read that book and I did that thing and this is what I learned. I learned that this part was actually 
spot on. And this part I was confused on. So I actually found this workaround. And as you're posting it, not only are you solidifying the lesson, so you're learning more, that should be like kind of the key goal at first is the like learn through posting. Cause you know how you really master something once you teach it. So even if you're regurgitating, you're actually, it's still useful. Even if everybody's like, oh, I've already heard that a million times. So I'm like, yeah, but have you written it down before and posted it? Because you're still learning something. So it's still helpful for you. Um, but if you kind of, I call it learning in the light. Like if you like learn it. in the light, yeah. And let's just say, let's just say you're marketing, you're coming out of mar- uh, school, you got your marketing degree. And if I had known more back then, I would have picked a niche and just started going into it. So maybe you just pick a niche of like marketing manufacturers for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Maybe your dad was a manufacturer. Um, just start asking questions and then posting the books about the things you're learning and how it applies to that industry. And if you learn in the light, like literally share your learnings as you go, the books you read, the people you talk to, shoot, if you start a podcast and just start interviewing people in the industry, you're sharing lessons as you learn. If you sh- if you learn in the light where everyone could see you learn and start to sh- like actually share, share some things that you're winning and learning about, they'll know what you know. You know, They'll know that you're becoming an so expert good. in it. So two years yeah. from now, they'll be like, Oh, well, so-and-so is obviously a manufacturing marketing person. And then a few years after that, you'll be the next expert because they've watched you grow from very beginning all the way to becoming an expert in it. I mean, you could probably get there pretty fast too if you're just being consistent and sharing your learnings there. Mm. That's so good. I feel like that's like uh, really the whole movement lately around building public with SaaS entrepreneur entrepreneurs in general is like how people can apply people can apply that to their career you're like yeah learn in public learn in the light like that's exactly what and it instantly makes you relatable because like people you know certain certain people uh are not attracted to those personas who like you know i know everything <laughs> you know which gary v has done a good job of like uh having that persona for himself but there's also that instant relatability where like I'm just in a journey trying to be better and want you come along and learn with me along that way. It's exactly what I'm hearing with this. Uh, it, it is that it, what I'm hearing here. Yep. Even more fun if you like try to make it a challenge like like you mm. take Justin Welsh, right? And you're yeah. like, hey, I'm going to execute the Justin Welsh playbook in three days. And then you just post about it along the way. So you good. just try to do something ridiculously hard in a short amount of time. And then, you know, if you win, great. If you fail, then it still makes for great content. That's so you good. just do that over and over again. And I'm pretty sure you'll build an audience quickly. Mm. And you'll learn way faster than everybody else. Because who does that? Mm. That's so good. That's a, actually a really great uh, uh, example with that. And, and ju- when by doing that, if Justin Walsh sees this and like, cool, you're applying oh, yeah. my concept, they're more... He's more likely to like share and like look at, you know, you were you kind of stroking his ego with this way. We're like, oh, yeah. look at this guy who who applied my concept and now he's successful or it didn't work and how he could be improved. So I think that's a good good strategy. That uh, have you tried that yourself? Like this approach? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did that one in particular this March. I tried to launch a course in a week and ended up taking two, but it still got it done in record that's time. Impressive. Yeah, I. I don't think I ever got him to comment on a post because he's he's popular enough now that it's pretty hard to get his attention on LinkedIn. But yeah. I've done it before and I've gotten That's other cool. people's attention in it that way before. I love that. So. That's a great strategy. One problem that you mentioned before we started recording is when people hit this audience growth ceiling where like, sure, they're starting to post up and often they hit like a plateau. Can you talk a little bit about what is, what is this audience growth ceiling uh, in 
when does it happen? Is it because you know they're still consistent? Is it because maybe the audience have gotten tired of their content, or maybe it's something else of why uh, this problem yep. occurs? Everybody has an audience growth ceiling, even mm. those who have grown at some point. At the usually the first problem of hitting your audience growth ceiling, which is your total reach, um, is that you're just not acquiring new audience members, right? So it's mm. kind of obvious you have a you have a small audience of five people or if you're on LinkedIn, you know, you probably have an audience of 300 to 400 connections. So you're not adding new ones. And therefore, your audience reaches whatever your active content uh, connections are actually logging onto LinkedIn regularly, right? It's probably just two, 100 of your 350 or right. less. That's your audience ceiling. So, but most people don't only, only become aware of it after they've grown to a certain point. They're growing, 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 and then it plateaus you hit a new audience growth ceiling because now they're not running into an acquisition problem necessarily. They're running into a retention problem. Okay. I discovered it after yeah. running a model because I was the director of audience growth for Sweetfish for three years. And uh, I was doing a paid uh, audience acquisition model on Excel, just trying to discover like, oh, like if I can, if we can pay to acquire an Apple podcast subscriber for $5 a subscriber, which we figured out, then when does this, how does this work? And if I'm doing this every single month at the, at the sound of like a thousand new followers a month, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to run into churn. If provided churns this and we're adding this many. And I started running the numbers in Excel and I'm like, oh my gosh, actually this, this doesn't go up and to the right forever. It actually plateaus out because of the churn rate and to make it simpler so that you can kind of see it in your own head. Imagine I'm, adding a hundred new audience members to whatever platform a month yeah. and I have a churn rate of 10%. How much, where is my audience growth ceiling? In that case, you're losing 10 people. So I'm 90. losing 10% every yeah. month and I'm adding a hundred every month. I max out at a number. It's a thousand followers, mm. right? Cause 10% of a thousand is a hundred and therefore I'm losing a hundred mm. and adding a hundred every single month. So that's right. my new, that's my new cap. Happens to people all the time. So your churn rate, eventually when you're just starting off in the beginning, you don't really have a churn rate because all your right. new audience is excited about you. But yeah. after you've been going for a while, you know, you've been going for some months or some years, you, you probably had a good rhythm of what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, just like Justin Welsh. A lot of us got excited about him three years ago. I've been following him for a long time, but then it kind of gets old after a while. Yeah. So I don't, uns- I didn't unsubscribe, but what happened? I stopped engaging with his posts. Yeah, he become a right, right. So while technically I'm still a follower, I'm not engaging, which means his reach is limited to it. Now for him, mm-hmm. he's still growing. He's still acquiring faster than his his churn rates. It hasn't caught up to him. But look at Gary V. Gary right. V has millions of uh, subscribers on YouTube, only tens of thousands of views per video. Right. So you could say his current audience ceiling on YouTube is in the tens of thousands mark. Right, it's not millions, which is why when you see someone posting like Casey Neistat, who's get, who's who's actually getting reach at his subscriber level, you're like, dang, that's a serious, <laughs> that's a serious ceiling. Yeah. Um, I so really, that's I the really, ceiling, and that's the problem. Before I continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, Forty Two Agency. Now, when you're in scale up growth mode and you have to hit your KPIs, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups, and it's a lot to handle. There's demand gen, email sequences, RevOps, and more. And that's where Forty Two Agency, founded by my good friend Camille Rexton, can help you. 
They are a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWall, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc to build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing growth problems today and help you build the foundations for the future, look no further. Visit 42agency.com to talk to a strategist right now to learn how you can build a high efficiency revenue engine. Thank you also to the sponsor for this episode, Riverside.fm. Riverside.fm is my go-to video podcast recording tool. This whole show is recorded on it. What I love about it is that it's almost like being in a virtual studio, which makes it possible to record and edit at the highest quality possible. Riverside.fm also records locally for myself and my guests. So if anyone has unstable internet connection, I can still get studio quality audio and video recording. And now with their AI engine, I can accurately transcribe my recordings as well as get vertical videos for Instagram Reels, TikTok, and YouTube Shorts automatically using the new feature called Magic Clips. Don't take my word for it. You can go to Riverside.fm right now to try it out for free or find the link in the show note and description. Anyway, let's get back to our episode. This is like near and dear to my heart because like I talk about churn and like losing and retention, but in terms of like SaaS and users. Yep, customers. and you talking about it in terms of audience is like <laughs> the same like, thing, right? Exactly. The best part is all the same principles you learned about customer right. retention. Yes. Dude, just take that same playbook and just apply like, it to your audience. Uh, so how did how to like that yeah. great book, um, Never, Never Lose, Lose a Customer Again? Yeah, Joy Coleman. Right. Yeah. All the almost all those principles, yeah. Just apply it to your audience growth and it works remarkably well. Yeah. I guess I feel like that's leading into your your core pillars of audience growth. You know, you you you, I don't want to spoil it, but like, what is that, yeah, yeah. and how can it help like break through and uh, break through, really break through that growth, uh, audience growth stall? Yeah. Since you've last heard, I was talking about it on stacking growth of four. I've actually refined it down to three because I'm writing nice. a book on the topic, and my Exciting. my book editor is like like you- grueling me trying to simplify <laughs> the book because I'm like classic author. I want to add way too many chapters. Right. Right. He's yeah. like. Oh, smaller. <laughs> nice. Simplify nice. the concepts. I'm like, God, you know, so we're getting in there and now it's down to three. It's, and it's, it's the one everybody loves and everyone knows around audience growth is audience acquisition. Mm. But then the one we just talked about audience retention and the third pillar is audience elevation. Oh, okay. Like that. So acquisition, we kind of know how do we get more people in because the, the, the higher the, active uh acquisition rate the faster we can grow yeah and to kind of break down like what are, okay well dan how do you acquire more audience well you just kind of organize them into your typical marketing buckets we're just going to borrow philosophies from other places. we're going to borrow how can we acquire followers from paid media how can we acquire them from our owned media leverage that better how can we get some earned media right and then you just take your normal marketing segments that you would use to market your product and start thinking like oh well how do i use these tactics now to work to grow my audience? How can I use LinkedIn ads? Mm-hmm. How can I use Facebook ads? How can I use my owned media? Do we have an email list around? What? How are we maximizing our website to grow our audience already? Should we plug in the newsletter or more spots or have pop-ups on the blogs or slide-ins or something? How do we leverage our owned media better? And then earned media. Um, I, I can't say I'm very good at earned media, so I just do, double down on owned and paid. <laughs> um, but it's honestly, if you're building good relationships, right. then you can ask friends that you know have podcasts to be like, hey, I have a thing coming out, a free thing. Like I just launched Audience Grow School, so I could go and ask people that like friends that I have about like talking about that more if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, so that's acquisition. Retention. 
I mean, like I just said, you could take Joey Coleman's book, uh, Never Lose a Customer Again, and just apply that book. Um, but to simplify it a little bit, I think about it as activation. Right. When you first start the relationship with them, how do you onboard them well, right? And I know you're all about onboarding. So <laughs> you start applying that playbook yeah, to audience growth. Yeah. yeah. Just take a lot of those right. principles um, and it works remarkably well. And I usually think about it in terms of newsletter. That's probably the easiest place to do it because there's a clear sign up point and then you can do the automated emails to introduce someone. But how do you onboard them into your values, into mm-hmm. your other channels, into like what to expect and ha- and and build their expectations accordingly so they know what to expect and when to expect it so that you deliver on it and then over deliver on it, right? right? Which is just, I mean, customer retention people think about those things all the time. How do we maximize that initial experience? Because we know there's probably going to be a fallout within 30 days of that, right? So audience retention is about activating, right? And then increasing frequency. Like how do I get them to see more, more frequently? So it's usually posting more. And then how do we get them to consume them? How do we get them to consume the post longer? So going from short form content to long form Mm. content, going from LinkedIn to listening to or reading a newsletter to getting to a long 45 minute podcast, right? So thinking through all the tactics to do all three of those things and you start to develop a retention plan because Mm. you're driving all the behaviors that get, gets audiences to consume more. And then the third pillar is audience elevation, Mm. um, which is where the fun begins. But I think of it as engagement. How do you get? How do you get them to engage with you more in the comments and conversations? I uh, my newsletter. I just want people to reply. Yeah. I'm like, I want to start conversations yeah. there. No, I don't do the no reply thing. I want people to reply, and I want to start conversations. I usually That's so good. Like, well, send back Loom videos and stuff just to get the relationship to go deeper. Um, how do you actually help them become more successful? The more you can help your audience become successful on what you're trying to teach them the more they're going to become raving fans of you. So again, you got to like stair steps. You got to get them to engage with you. And then you have to like actually have to hone your craft and what you're teaching them and how you're teaching it to them. It's not enough just to say the thing. How well are people receiving it, understanding yeah. it, and then applying it? So it actually becomes good teaching principles um, so that they're actually successful. And then how do you get them to start promoting it? Honestly, mm. if you take care of the first two, you'll probably get them to start evangelizing it themselves. Yeah. But then how do you stoke the flames? How, what tactics can you use to actually get them to evangelize a little bit more and a little bit louder? Um, and that becomes elevation. I actually mm. think there might be even a fourth one of graduation. Like, not a fourth pillar, but I would probably put this in elevation because right. maybe people don't need to be in your your stream forever. Interesting. Yeah. Like, Maybe you've kind of learned Justin Welsh's thing and you're ready to graduate. Mm. Maybe no, maybe a few people get there, but honestly, right. I'm starting to wonder, I'm like, should we have like a cradle to grave strategy? It seems like every business goes there eventually. That cradle was MTV's grave. thing for a long time. That yeah. was literally their strategy called cradle to grave. That's so good. Um, yeah. I'm like, should we actually do that? Maybe we should just kind of be honest about where we fit into the journey mm. and be like, hey, now that you've graduated, you should go talk to this person. They're way better. That's a really interesting concept with graduation. I think as a business, as a person, you might, I'm not entirely sure I struggle with that too. Cause like Russell Brunson talks a lot about like the value ladder where like, I'm sure you can offer them a next thing to that, those people who have graduated. But the question is, do you want to, or are you the right person there? So you're right. It's something that you want to think about. Uh, uh, that's like the plan churn where like you want, you, you expect them to churn because they're ready to move on to the next step. Right. That's what I'm, 
Yeah. That, you think of like employee building company culture. Yeah. And I used to think retaining employees was the ultimate goal. So I would yeah. work really hard at retaining employees. And I've retained a few employees past, probably past where they should have been. Mm. And they missed opportunities because of it. And their lives are good now. It's not like bad things happen. But part of me is like, it's maybe time. I should, maybe I need to graduate them out of the, out of the company sometimes. And now I've started thinking about it that way. Like, when can I graduate people out? But I think it happens, like it could happen the same way for your audience. So mm. that when you leave, you leave like with a really positive feeling about yeah. the place you just left. That's like true. I left Sweetfish, but now I can't stop talking about them because I had <laughs> such a great experience with James and Sweetfish. So I talk good. about them on every podcast I get on, apparently. Yeah. That's so good. That's true. You're right about graduation. What I really love about this like framework is that it could be a flywheel where like you're the... As you elevate more people, as you like, they're actually bringing on more people to acquire. So like, it's just this like cycle of loop where the more you get people to the last, last one elevation, you're actually fueling the acquisition part, which gives you more tests. They could give you more testimonials, which makes your ads more effective. And like, so it really is like this virtuous, happy cycle of like, of audience growth, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, be a five yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see it that way, or you see it? You saw it more like, uh, I guess, like a a funnel. It's almost like a funnel, essentially, it's like a classic marketing funnel, where like position, uh, you know, activation, uh, and then you know, retention, and then all the way till till the very end, referral. Yep, definitely a funnel. Obviously, nothing's as ever as clean as a funnel, but it's still a useful, useful visual, That's in cool. my opinion. Um, but hopefully. Owned media in my, I think owned media is the best flywheel that mm. businesses can build. Yeah. Um, even, even people like having a personal audience, like is, has made a massive difference for my life, for my career. And I know it's only the beginning of it too. So like, I'm even now I'm like, I'm not going to charge for courses. I'm just going to put them all for free in audience grow school because the audience is so much more right. valuable than any like dollars. Mm. Like I currently make selling 3,700, $200 courses. I'm like, let's just go all in on building an audience because mm. I've found it to be so much more, I mean, it's more lucrative in different ways. And honestly, it's way more meaningful. Yeah. It's way more impactful to be able to help people and serve people and build like real meaningful relationships. And I'm like, I, I think I just want to go all in on this. <laughs> that makes sense. That's an interesting take where you're talking about like building an audience, like build, building somebody. Do you, is that something that you? I'm seeing more and more where like B2B companies, instead of them building an audience for their brand, they're building audience with somebody within their company, like a person. It could be the founder, it could be a marketer, it could be the CMO or the C, the chief product officer. I'm seeing that this trend, and I'm curious what your take is on this. You probably are like, this is a great idea, or you're like totally on contrarian, like this is a terrible idea. Curious what your take us on that. What what I think about building a personal brand versus building a, like a company brand, like a company selecting a few people within the company to build their personal brand to kind of elevate the company with it along oh, yeah. with them essentially. No, I I think it's a total valid play. I mean, it's what we did at Sweetfish. We mm -hmm. went out and built personal brands, and it happened to build Sweetfish's brand too. I'm even doing it at Element 451 right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, we did this. We called it the Evangelist Program at Sweetfish. Evangelist Program, um, nice. But it was so successful because we just launched it with James, Logan, and I. And then we broadened it out. And then we opened it up to the whole company. And a lot, like probably we had probably 12, 15 people involved at a time. 
And when we'd onboard them for a quarter and then offboard them or sometimes, um, but we made a formal program out of it and it was really, it worked well. <laughs> so many personal brands because people will talk about their own little personal interests mm. and what they're into. It could be like gardening, could be yoga. Yeah. But I guarantee some of your buyers are probably interested in that same stuff. So they would like connect over yoga. Mm. And then because that one employee's connected to other employees, well, you start seeing more of the other employees because they're all engaging with each other. Um, and then they start getting pulled into like the, I called it the sweet tip, sweet fish vortex, man. It's like they, they, they'd get hit by Logan. And because Logan and I are interacting all the time, they'd start seeing my posts and then right. they, they didn't engage with me. And then they start seeing five more sweet fish employees and James. Right. And then before long, because we all have a little design going, a special design going around our little profile, they could see every time they saw a sweet mm. fish employee go by, we dominate like half their feed, man. So <laughs> they're just like, I just can't get away from Sweetfish, but I love their content so much. So many people have said that to us. And I'm like, this is a thing. This That's is so working. Cool. That's so cool. <laughs> just overwhelming people with unique perspectives and personalities mm. and value. I'm like, this is the way marketing should be. Mm. Let's make marketing a dignified profession <laughs> and just lead with value and real right. people and authenticity. Yeah. Mm. Um so I'm loving, I'm loving it. I'm doing it at Element now. Just st- starting nice. to spearhead that program uh, this last two weeks, and we're in the early stages of it. But I know I have a couple of employees at the company already that are like, "Oh, wait, bring me in on phase two. I'm ready to go in." So cool. You're talking about uh, where you're working at building out. I'm super curious of how this. Did you select like a couple of folks to just test it out first, or like what is what is your game plan of like how you're building out this? Evangel- evangelist program is that what you're calling it yeah, there yeah, yeah. yeah curious what that game plans out funny enough little. people have asked me about this program now that it's yeah. another course that i'm I working feel like on totally. to put behind the wall <laughs> yeah right. i'm working on it That's cool. um i got the first part released and i'm kind of building this one in public as i go along but there's kind of three phases to the program the first phase you need a few your few best people because you need at least one of these three people to go the distance and become somewhat influential on, on you need momentum you need at least one of the three to have some some substantial momentum on linkedin because it makes the difference for the rest of the crew um so you pick people i i usually i'm usually looking for people based on a two two qualities are they already active on linkedin and already have momentum with just being in the habit of posting because if you're not doing if you've never done that it's really hard to get started right yeah so you want to have somebody that has some consistency already even if their content's not good and then do they know a lot about the topic, mm. right? So if they have some subject matter expertise on the thing that the buyers care about more so, not just how do they do the thing if they're an accountant, which isn't bad, we can bring that in later. But like, do they do they have expertise on the thing the buyers care about? Yeah. And do they have that post rhythm going? Um, so I kind of rank them on those two things. And then I pick the three from there. Mm. Usually it'll be like the founder, like a VP yeah. or subject matter expert or something. So you launch with those few. I'm a, I am actually a fan of engagement groups. I know people on yeah. LinkedIn like freaking hate me for that. Like, look, there's a good way to do it and there's bad yeah. ways to do it. Right. James taught me the good way to do it. And you yeah. might say there's no good way to do it. Okay. That's fine. We, but we, what I do is I just curate people that are, are already like on LinkedIn that are right. also speaking to that audience. Yeah. And that you're already kind of commenting with already and maybe yeah. people like them. And you curate a small group of about 10 to 12 people and you throw them in a freaking group in Slack or in a DM group and LinkedIn and you just like have a basic understanding. I find if you just say like, hey, for the next three months, 
we're going to post our posts in here and we're all going to engage with each other's mm. posts. Like that's the, that's engagement groups, engagement pods, whatever you want to call them. That's how it works because we all know that initial engagement when you first post is what ranks your post better. Yeah. And especially when you're dealing with a like an evangelist team of like people that have like only hundreds of followers, um, it is helpful if they all go in together, if you have three at a time. But right. if they can get some momentum from other people that are engaged in LinkedIn, it really helps them launch out. But after, after I don't do, I only do that with phase one to kind of get the phase initial one. crew going. In phase yeah. two, you broaden it out and those initial three become the accelerants for everybody else. Uh, Maybe you just do an internal engagement. Right your yeah. own company Slack and it's just in, in-house instead of the outsiders in, in with it. Um, but engagement groups, it's such a good way to build relationships with people because if you're oh. commenting on like a mixed small amount of people's posts every single time, you end up getting to know them. Some of my yeah. like best LinkedIn buddies came out of engagement groups from three years ago Yeah, that we're still tight today. I'm like, dang, I don't know why people hate this so much. It's, they're like, well, you're gaming it and LinkedIn doesn't like it. I'm like, screw LinkedIn. LinkedIn's right. gaming you, bro. Stop yeah, hating true. on it. You have a game. <laughs> There's a game. Don't don't hate the player, hate the game, you know? Yeah. Oh, well. So, so that's phase two. And then phase mm -hmm. three, you just kind of open it up company-wide. You have to have more policies in place for like right. what it means and all that stuff too. But Right. That makes yeah. Sense. It's also important, what I heard like around that engagement group is like making sure that they're already talking about something that they can relate to. So like, I've been part of an engagement group like three years ago where like there's like somebody talking about leadership, somebody talking about NFT, somebody talking about marketing and like, yeah, I can't comment on that. That's like really weird for me to yeah. engage with that. So it's like super important to make sure it's around the problem or a topic that is related to what you're already talking about. The quality of the engagement group depends on the quality of the people you select and curate to put in there. Mm. James was extremely thoughtful about it. Mm. He did when I watched him do it. And this, some of them were personal friends of his. So like he curated yeah. people that like actually posted good crap. You don't want right. to bring people in there posting stuff like, what did you eat today? And you post like a poll of like cereal. Eggs. And you're like, stupid, stop. Right. Just That's pumping good. the engagement machine. I'm like, no, get, we don't want them. Right. That's so good. I'm super excited for you. This phase, this is, is this part of your book? I feel like it should if it's not this phase three phase. Because this is something uh, where like. Evangelist program? Yeah. No, it's not even in the oh, book at all. Shoot, because it goes the from the book just covers the pill the pillars. Because it goes from the pillars is about you doing it yourself, but like where it can be interesting, especially with AI and like generative like search, I feel like they're gonna value authority and expertise even more. They're already doing that, but like even more so in the future, we're like, how can you trust content from this? Uh, brand or this blog because it could be written by AI but like somebody who is already talking about that uh, they can elevate that really it's high I feel like that's how we'll win with search in the future potentially with like experts and curated content from people with authority so maybe yep. it should be part of the book I think you talked about Sweetfish doing this and you're building this out are there any other companies you've seen like doing this really well this like this, you know, them picking a few people to build it out. You know, for me personally, I've seen Gong do it really well where like they've identified a few folks. But I'm curious in your eyes, like I'm sure you've seen like a few. I was like, wow, dude, what they're doing is cool. And this people listening in should check out what they're doing. I mean, Refine Labs did a remarkable job mm -hmm. and are still doing Definitely. well. Another company that did well and then just like disappeared off the face of the map was Gravy. Mm -hmm. 
Do you remember that? Casey Graham was freaking hot on LinkedIn. He started bringing in tons of employees. There was gravy was everywhere on LinkedIn for a while. And then I don't know what happened in that company, but Casey like went like just disappeared and the whole, no one heard it from them again. I don't know where, I don't know what they're doing now. I'm like, are they, are they still in business? I don't know. (laughs) They still around. Yeah. That's funny. They were doing it really well. Vidyard does pretty well, but they have Mm. a lot of cool, they have a lot of cool audience growth things going on. In fact, that's probably one of the companies I think doing, doing audience growth the best right now. Mm. Um, Vidyard. They have a sales feed as their, I mean, if you're, if you're a marketer listening to this, you probably don't know because they're so, they're more sales focused, but they have sales feed. Um, and they they kind of raise up like influencers within within their own organization. They're probably hiring them now. Yeah. Um. But they have a whole newsletter and a TikTok and YouTube channel and like wow. all that kind of stuff. And they probably have an audience of a hundred k or north what? of a hundred k now. Yeah. All and that's an audience that's like a separate brand sales feed. Mm. But then they sell personal video to it. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's what it's made out of. I think what works best is if you have a separate media brand like sales feed. And, and Sweetfish has B2B growth, have a separate media brand that's broader than the positioning of your corporate brand. Yeah. And I feel like personal brands become the accelerants that can kind of play between both. Interesting. That's so, that's really like a, another like goldmine there specifically. I'm just looking up sales feed right no, now. That's, that's like another mentioned. podcast to cover that. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Thank you for sharing that. I like it. Once again, I'm just like checking it out right now. I'm going to explore it much later. Uh, this has been a great chat around audience growth. I actually want to shift gears and talk about the career, career part specifically. In terms of your career, like you've been in marketing for, I think, almost two decades. I checked out your LinkedIn profile to figure exactly. Uh, you've had stints as an ad designer, social media manager, and now you're head, head of inbound marketing at Element 451 as well. as so like you're building out your own like courses and things like that. I'm curious, what's like something, a power-up that's helped you accelerate your career and help you like level up as a marketer, as a entrepreneur, as a creator? This is, I mean, we were joking about this at the very beginning in the, uh, before we started recording, it's like, oh, which one? Because there's so many different so little many, things that made know. a massive difference, right? But like the one that I'm like, uh, uh-huh. like, this has made the biggest difference, but I only just applied it recently. And I'm like, like, I wish I would have known. I started, I've gotten taste of it earlier, but when I started doubling down on just essentially niching down, mm. it's so scary to niche down. But I'm telling, I'm yeah. like, if I would have just stayed steady with the thing, I probably picked, I probably was probably like pivoted five, six, seven times. And I don't mean from like graphic design, from like marketing, even within marketing over the last couple of years, I'm like, I think I'm going to be all about. I, at first, I was a uh, home video studios. Hence, mm. so if you're watching the video, like obviously that's yeah, still that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's so dope. It's still part of the story. Yeah, I was had a whole blog about that, mm. and I was getting traffic. I had 20k page views and starting, what? and then I bailed on that and went after nonprofit marketing, and then I bailed on that and went after thought leadership, and then I bailed on that and went after something else. And now I'm finally like doubling down and staying consistent with audience growth. Mm. It has made such a freaking difference. Yeah. To just kind of like pick a lane and just hammer that lane. Like yeah. it is a little hard because you have to find a lane that's like slightly large enough, but not too narrow. But honestly, I'm starting to think like, that's cool. Even if it's too narrow, you, you're wondering if it's too narrow. If you're wondering about it, yeah, it's not just stay in it and just mm-hmm. post about that, learn about that, learn in the light through that that niche. It won't be long before you become that go-to expert on that. And honestly, I've heard a lot of other people give the advice and now I'm giving it to like, pick a niche 
Mm. If it's too like, and you might even go niche down twice because what you niche down into was still too big and just start becoming known for that one thing because that becomes way more powerful than the generalist. You can actually be a good generalist, but still just known for the one thing. That's what I discovered. Be a generalist, be freaking good at a lot of things, but be known for one thing. That's so good. In terms of like you, you said you switch a few times in terms of niche. There might be a few times where you there, you know, it's it's time to switch. You know, something maybe the audience has shrank or the trend has gone down. I'm curious for you, how did you know when to when to I guess switch, just so to speak, or should you continue sticking with that? Like, do you have a suggestion of how long you should stay until like you get signal that they should? You know, it's time to switch to another one that might be more lucrative or make more sense for you? I think if you've been hammering it for a long time Mm. and you're not seeing any traction, and I mean like you're at least 100 posts into the thing and not Mm. like 100 LinkedIn posts, like whatever that long form channel is you're trying to do, YouTube, blog, whatever, you got to get at least 100 in before you can even bail from it. So do it for a long time, 100 posts, maybe two years, like something that's like not just a couple of months. Um, And if you have a few core people that you really trust around you and they're all kind of saying something similar or like you're getting similar tones from them about you sticking to the thing, then maybe you should probably consider switching. That's so good. So good that you're like have trusted advisors around you, but like having a longer time frame. This is YouTuber I follow, Matt Devella, where he called it the three-year rule. If you're going to stick with something, stick with it for three years and then see where it goes from there. And I feel like that's often the true for myself and maybe for other people who are like might get caught up with the excitement of NFT AI and the new thing like stick with it for longer than you think and you might see more from that it's a great piece of advice in terms of uh, uh, one final question around you know we're talking about advice right now but like I love asking if you can give your younger self a piece of advice a younger Danchess Somebody who might be starting out in marketing and they're trying trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out exactly what to do. What would be your piece of advice that you would give that younger person? Dang. Other than that niche down advice, start a freaking podcast. Mm, so good. Start that. Dude, it's the last channel I picked up. I feel like I'd done every other channel by that point, like SEO, email marketing, PPC. Like I'd done like the whole list of digital marketing tools. Podcast was last stupid <laughs> i'm like i wish it had been first this is why this is why it needs to be first okay um because one you pick your niche right or even if you don't like right. if you just come up with a podcast right now and you do it for free on anchor and sign up for a free zoom account just call it a 30 less than 30 minute show um and record the episode and throw it up for anchor on free so like you could literally just do this all for free and pick a bad cover art doesn't matter um and just interview the people that you want to get to know mm. that are in the positions that you want That's to true. be in. Yeah. And just start reaching out to them. They'll almost always say yes. And uh, you can start asking them. It's like having your own personal mentorship group because yeah. you get to go and talk to all the cool people. Dude, you know how many books that I've read? And I've reached out to the authors and be like, hey, do you yeah. want to do an interview? I loved your book. They almost always say yes unless they're currently heads down on another book project, yeah. especially business book. I mean, obviously, like you try to get a part get a hold of like a major famous author. It's harder, so, but yeah, Gary V, right? He's hard to get him, but most authors don't get requests for podcasts. Yeah. And usually they're hustling, trying to get on podcasts. So they're mm-hmm. usually say yes. So imagine being able to read a book and then talk to the author about what you thought about it. 
you could do that with the power of a freaking podcast because everyone says yes. People won't give you five minutes for coffee. Even if you buy the coffee, that's kind of annoying. But if you ask them to be on a podcast, they'll give you, they'll give you a whole hour. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's the, one of the best life hacks I've ever learned is just start a podcast and use it to learn and grow into any topic. It's like accelerating your learning essentially. And that's what I'm doing here as well. Like learning from other folks. Some of the stuff you talked about, audience growth, specifically that advice on like do a challenge and like tag someone. It's like, it's really unique and like stuff like that. I would totally double, double click on this advice to start, start a podcast sooner. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. Go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Powerups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Powerups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design and thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power ups. Until the next episode.